0: Alright, tonight we're going to embark on a study of the Doctrine of Evolution Part 1. But before we do, let's use First 1 John 1, 1.9 as may or may not be necessary. Let us pray. Father, we're grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and study Your Word. Guide us now and direct us. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, by way of a prologue, this report was first written when my daughter was a student in Westlake. And she asked for another view since she was being taught evolution as a fact rather than a theory. I first undertook this self-imposed assignment in 1975. But over a period of several years including, most recently, I have revised the document as new information became available. So by way of a preface, I know you don't have this, and uh, I will have it on the internet though, uh, so follow along with me uh, as I read to you. Many of the most famous and influential Christian scholars and leaders of the last 150 years also believed evolution was compatible with Christian faith. Please note that several people on this list had complex ideas about evolution which cannot be reduced into a single quote. Some were skeptical about the strength of science or had questions about how evolution could fit with Christian doctrine. I'm not claiming that their views are exactly the same. And I just picked several that I knew we would know uh, as we will see later. But they all affirm that God's creative power could be expressed through an evolutionary process. None of them see an intrinsic conflict between evolutionary science and Christian faith. Together their voices are a striking departure from the assumptions of many people today. All right, the first one I selected was Billy Graham. I don't think he says there are any con this is a quote from him, and I should put that in quotes. I don't think that there is any conflict at all between science today and the scripture. I think that we have misinterpreted the scriptures many times, and we tried to make the scriptures say things that weren't meant, they weren't meant to say. I think that we have made a mistake by thinking the Bible is a scientific book. The Bible is not a book of science. The Bible is a book of redemption, and of course, I accept the Christian story. I believe that God did create the universe. I believe that God created man. And whether he came by an evolutionary process and at a certain point he took this person uh at a certain point he took this person or being uh and made by him a living soul or not does not change the fact that God did create man. All right? Whenever or what whichever way God did it makes no difference. As to what man is and man's relationship to God. The next one, C.S. Lewis. We and again quoting, we must sharply distinguish between evolution as a biological theorem and popular evolutionism or development developmentism, which is certainly a myth. To the biologist, evolution covers more of the facts than any other hypothesis at present on the market, and is therefore to be accepted unless or until some new supposal can be shown to cover still more facts, which, with even fewer assumption, all right. For long centuries, God perfected the animal form, which was to become the vehicle of humanity and the image of himself. He gave it hands whose thumbs could be applied to each of the fingers and jaws and teeth and throat capable of articulation and a brain sufficiently complex to execute all the material motions where the rational thought is incarnated. The creature may have existed for ages in this state before it became man. It may even have been clever enough to make things which modern archaeologists would accept as a proof of humanity. But it was only an animal because all its physical and uh, psychological processes were directed to purely material and natural ends. Then in the fullness of time, God caused to descend upon this organism both on its psychology and physiology, a new kind of consciousness which could say I and me, which could look upon itself as an object which knew God, which could make judgments of truth, beauty, and goodness, and which was so far above time that it could perceive time flowing past. And the next person, Dr. Francis Collins director of National Institutes of Health, gives a presentation titled Reflections on the Current Tensions Between Science and Faith at the 31st Annual Christian Scholars Conference at Pepperdine University in Malibu, California on Thursday, June the 16th, 2011. And he also wrote a book of which I have read and uh Loaned it to somebody and it hadn't come back yet, but it's entitled "The Language of God." Uh, but uh, it's, I got most, I got plenty of it on the internet. So, and of course, he's in the news today, uh, and uh, I'll not get into that. That's neither here nor there. His views are outstanding in his book. He has an excellent testimony. He has a Ph.D. in three different things. And um, I think I mentioned to some of you, he uh, went with his daughter on a missionary journey uh, as a doctor. And when he got there, the, her first thing he did was have a patient who came in and he had to take a syringe or a hypodermic needle and go into a person's heart cavity to pull out fluid, and he said he did, and then he made the, what I thought was a strange comment. He first had thought, well, that's really great. I came over here as a doctor, and I helped this person; he saved his life. He said, but now he's going to go out and drink unclean water and die. And uh, I thought that's strange, but it kind of he was talking about how. It, Pride, you know, he was very prideful because he was able to do that. But uh, he's also the guy who developed the human genome, and uh, then rose to head the the uh, National Institute of, of Health. All right, now I'm reading on. I'm going back to quoting Francis Collins. But it is because the alternative is that you have to see the hands of a creator who set the parameters to be just so because the creator was interested in something a little more complicated than random particles. The NIH director, who came to speak for himself and not as a government official, delivered a thoughtful yet provocative hour-and-a-half lecture last Thursday at the conference titled, Reflections on the current tensions between science and faith. This year, the theme was the path of discovery, science, theology, and the academy. Alright, more than 300 scholars from 90 different universities participated in the three day conference, June 16 through 18, where they were challenged to discuss and engage with one another on the topic of faith and science the scholars interacted through 91 paper panel or performance sessions. A message from during the keynote presentation speaker Francis Collins delivered out loud about a question that the Big Bang Theory cannot answer. Although the Big Bang Theory explains how the universe started, it can't explain what happened before that. And of course in his book, The Language of God, he affirms the that the big bang theory is is no doubt true. The earth occurred boom at one point in time. And he says uh, Einstein agreed that that's true. Hubble convinced him and Einstein admitted he had made a mistake in his mathematics and that's why he thought it was a development. He thought the earth evolved. The earth the moon, the stars and all occurred, bam! And, uh, that was, uh, he had the old story that I have quoted before in my doctrine of evolution about how, uh, it, it, the irony of the fact that when judgment day comes and all the scientists are up there on the mountain looking down, uh, I know all the, oh, excuse me, I'm getting my, getting mixed up here that on Judgment Day, the scientists will be clawing and climbing up a giant mountain and uh, they'll finally get to the top. And when they get there, they'll see a thousand grinning theologians saying, I told you so. But uh, uh, that was a story in the, I think it was New York Times that I pulled out and and quoted in my Doctrine of Evolution. And this has been added to it. In fact, it was today that I added it. I wrestled with it for some time. Because I knew in his book, he believed that it's quite possible that God uh, used evolution. And he also took exception to the fact that carbon dating uh, is affected to the extent that the age of the Earth is not portrayed correctly because he also believes the Earth at one time was surrounded by water, and that the, that the rays of the sun were diluted, and that's why you have such different ages, where whether it's pre-water, in other words, pre-flood, or before or after the flood. And uh, but he says he they have found a rock on the moon. Which chances are the water wasn't over the moon, but maybe perhaps it was. Uh, and he says the earth is, as I say in here at another place, uh, I think it was 16 million years old. And of course he believes in evolution as a possibility that God used. So I knew all that before I began to put it down. So anyway, a creator is not limited by time, doesn't need to have to have such a beginning. Collins stated, the question doesn't make any sense if you have a creator outside of time. So here we go, creation and evolution. Unlike most evangelicals, Collins said he never struggled between the acceptance of evolution and his Christian faith. When he looks at evolution, he thinks it is a part of God's elegant way of creation. But 45% of Americans, and that includes Mike Huckabee when he ran for this presidency as a Republican, uh, I remember, I'm going to tell one anecdote here quickly. I remember I, I talked to Richard Gilliam for many, many, many months about the Lord. And uh, one of the things he said to me, he couldn't, and he, and he was also, a, as he said, a yellow dog Democrat. And uh he made the statement that about Mike Huckabee. He said, "I couldn't vote for anybody that believed that the Earth is less than ten thousand years old." And of course, forty quoting now, forty-five percent of Americans believe that the Earth is less than ten thousand years old, and that's because they read their Bibles and they start charting. This is Adam, and you. Put the dates to it and put the dates to it. And you come up with a 10,000 year old and that's accepted by many, many Christians. 45% of Americans. Which, of course, is obviously false. But I shouldn't be saying obviously. Nothing's obvious, you know, in this world. Alright, reading on. The young earth creationism theory is very incompatible with what scientists have learned from physics, chemistry, cosmology, biology, and, e- and geology. This was emphasized by Collins who believed the earth is, here it is, is over 13 billion years old. And that's because of carbon dating of a rock that they found on the moon and the difficulties with car- car- carbon dating is perhaps overcome by being on the moon. But see, even that's argumentable. Did the earth cover the... Moon too? I mean, was there water over the, the moon? So let me read on. Quoting again from, from uh, Francis Collins. He noted that even though billions of years sound long to humans, if God is outside of time, then it might not seem long to God. <laughs> Collins also pointed out that when Darwin's evolution theory was first introduced, There was not unanimous protest from the church. Many Christians saw that as an explanation to how God created the world. It could very well be evolution. Quoting now, God is the author of it all and we must learn something more about how, said Collins. God is an awesome mathematician and physicist. God's plan included the mechanism of evolution to achieve that to create this marvelous diversity of living things on our planet. So Collins' view of evolution being a part of God's creation plan is called theistic evolution. Or another term is biologos. Bio is a Greek word for life, while lagos means word, so biologos would mean God speaking life into being. Now with reference to Adam and Eve, even more controversial than these theistic than theistic evolution is Collins's belief that Adam and Eve were not the only people on Earth. Looking at today's genetic variations, there must have an have been an ancestral gene pool larger than that of Adam. Uh, in parentheses, Eve, based on a literal reading of Genesis, came from Adam's ribs and therefore could have been the same DNA as Adam. Somewhere in the range of 10,000 people. I can see how you get there by going through a bottleneck of a single individual, contended Collins, about present-day genetic variations. You have to carry along variation, and variation requires a population. This could not happen if you have just one person as the ancestor of all of humanity. The geneticists noted that scientists have been able to obtain the DNA of several Neanderthals, and they are 99% identical to the human genome, said Collins. Moreover, where there is a region with sequence variation in the genome of Neanderthals, many many times geneticists will find the same variation in humans today. So this is convincing evidence that Neanderthals and human have a relationship and that our founding population was thousands of individuals and not one person, that person being Adam. So I think you can preserve the idea of a literal historical couple, Adam and Eve, as long as you don't try to say that they were the only humans and we are all descended from just them, contend Collins. That second part science won't support. The former director of the Human Genome Project said based on genetic research, it is impossible to support the belief that people today all came only from Adam and Adam. Another benefit of accepting that there were thousands of people besides Adam and Eve is being able to answer the question from the Bible like, where did Cain find his wife? Who was Cain afraid would kill him? How was Cain going to build a city with just his family? And this is something that has always puzzled me a little bit. And uh, and now finally somebody has the intestinal fortitude to address it. All right, people in the world are are hearing you can't have both. It has got to be one or the other," said Collins about choosing between evolution or creation. The essential thing is we're about the truth. A faith that basically asks people to disbelieve facts is not only the truth. No, it's not about the truth. If there are aspects about our Christian faith that has gone down that road, it is up to all of us to try to pull that back. Look at the facts Look at the truth, and in the process, admire all the more, and worship all the more God, the Creator. But in the non-essential things, not not let excuse me, let's not get too worked up about those options about Adam and Eve, as long as they're consistent with the facts. For Collins, a key principle he uses to harmonize science and his Christian faith is based on a famous statement by former New York General New York uh, Senator Patrick Monahan. You are entitled to your own opinion. You are not entitled to your own facts. All right, introductions. That is what I have added to as of actually today, my doctrine of creation. Now let's go to the doctrine of creation. Introduction. Creation by fiat defined. God created out of absolutely nothing by fiat fiat, the earth and all living things. The source was the Trinity, with the active agent being Jesus Christ. Darwin's theory of evolution defined living forms in the world have risen from a single source. Which itself came from an inorganic form. The source of this definition is Dr. G. A. Kirkut of the Southampton University. Textbook writers sometimes get carried away by teaching as fact and refuse to teach the ambigu ambiguities ambiguities, excuse me. Mistakes Prejudices and gross assumptions, or, or, even minor perturbations attendant with the theory. And even worse, general science and biology teachers refuse the student alternative views. Our study, talking about my study, will set forth what the Bible says and provides insight into what some have called evolution, the great intellectual fraud. It would be done in such a way as to antagonize and therefore stimulate your thinking. No one person or group of persons will ever prove God or what he purports to have done after all. If we could prove his existence, he would not be much of a God. All right. The background of evolution. Evolution's foremost assumption that evolution is the only theory worthy of study and the only scientific approach. Since most evolutionists assume there is nothing better than Darwin's theory, why, it must be correct. Creation by fiat is considered mumbo-jumbo religion and thus unworthy of consideration. Several evolutionists have in fact gone on record as saying Even if evolution is scientifically disapproved, there is no way a reasonable man could accept creation by fiat. Now, quotations supporting this prejudice are legend, and I'll give you some. W. W. Wheeler, in his book, Creation by Evolution, writes, No plea for the supernatural origin of anything is valid, so long as there is a possibility of a natural explanation of its origin. George F. Hutchinson, 1957, Encyclopedia Britannica. If there is no choice, instead of accepting the supernatural acts of God, the scientists may have to assume that there have been changes in the laws of nature. And then Arthur Thompson, in his book, The Outline of Science, has written, But frankly, the only scientific way of looking at the present-day fauna and flora is to regard them as the outcome of natural selection. Ernest Houghton, in his book, Up from the Ape, just how fins develop into limbs is still a mystery, but they did. Calvin S. Hall writes in The Inheritance of Emotionality. You may question, of course, whether rat intelligence is the same as human intelligence. But if you do put the question, you're really not an evolutionist and therefore your view deserved little consideration. Horatio Newman in Evolution, Genetics and Eugenics, he wrote, There is no rival hypothesis except that outworn and completely refuted idea of special creation, now retained only by the ignorant, the dogmatic, and the prejudiced. All right, and then from Encyclopedia, the prehistoric man. All right, assumptions. The earth is some six billion years young. Fossil remains have been found as old as six million years. Text books show an orderly progress of man with lower farms to higher farms. The picture is a smooth flow from ape to caveman to modern man. The World Book Encyclopedia, along with an orderly evolutionary progress chart, offered in 1973 the following as fact. Fossil man is said to have been a million years in age. The ape is said to be 1,500,000. The encyclopedia goes on to imply the 500,000-year period between man and ape was to sh- be surely filled with an ancestry tree of ordered progression just as soon as evidence could be dug up. And then in 1973, a giant fly fell into the ointment. Her name was the Thoroughly Modern Millie. She was discovered, discovered by young Dr. Lakey, who dated her at 2,800 years, thereby blowing the sanctity of an evolutionary theory, or better said, that evolutionary theory. The gap was now something which must be somehow explained. The worse, however, the often-published orderly charts show man's evolution from ape to man must now be destroyed, lest the world found out the hoax was on us. Dr. Leakey, with reference to his fine said, either we toss out the skull, or this skull, or we toss out our theories of early man. All right, see National Geographic, June 1973 for an excellent article describing Dr. Lakey's fine. And, of course, I have in my original doctrine of evolution, I have that particular copies of those pages where we find the following. Thoroughly modern, Millie was either misdated or she was to be a cause for great alarm to former postulations that the oldest ape preceded man by 500,000 years. She was said to be as modern as any fossil man ever found, and yet she preceded earliest fossil man by thousands of years, and worse, she was 1,800,000. Uh, years older than Homo erectus, the ape who walked. Evolutionists began to scramble. They needed plausible theories. Maybe the genus represented by Millie had become extinct and she simply began a new evolutionary journey. This was basically Dr. Lakey's explanation and then a few cynics were so thoughtless as to state uh, maybe the ape evolved from man. Pardon me for my hyperbole. There, the August 17, 1995 issue of the Wall Street Journal reported scientists said they discovered a new species of human ancestor, ancestor in Kenya. They said a shin bone indicates the creature walked upright, which means prehumans were walking half a million years earlier than had been believed. The Associated Press reported on the morning of 11 August 1995 that this shin bone provided further substantiation of the hypothesis that man evolved from an ape. The bone was said to be three and one half million years old, meaning the prior postulations were in error concerning progressions. At the time, I wondered how far off other postulations and assumptions might be. As you read this document, try to fathom how this shin bone could possibly be further substantiation to the theory of evolution. The shin bone is another in a series of discoveries which tend to indicate man may be even older than the ape. I think it is safe to say that as of today we still have no fossil evidence of an orderly evolution of man. In fact, what we do have indicates, at best, great gaps in the order of development from animal to man. Even some data supports an evolution from man to primate and then to a new genus of man. Today, most degree agree, fossil evidence seems to show that man began and then became extinct and then man's evolution began again because the oldest likeness to man ceases in a gap of animal fossils span long periods of time and then suddenly man appears to develop again thus making clear the adage you can't keep a good man down or perhaps better said you can keep a very old man down but not for long now writing for the new york times in 1999 john noble wilford spoke to the point that a new trunk on the genus of the human tree had been discovered or whatever happened on the way to mankind's orderly, but inexorable, though inexplicable evolution. The Times reported: paleo- po- Paleontologists, paleontologists in Africa, have found a 3. million-year-old skull from what they say is an extremely new branch of the early human family tree. A discovery that again threatens to overturn the prevailing undocumented supposition that a single orderly line of descent stretched through the early stages of human ancestry. Humanity's family tree, once drawn from a trunk straight and true, is beginning to look more like a bush, with a tangle of branches leading off in many directions. The new skull was discovered by a research team led by Leakey in 1999. After careful analysis, it was concluded that the nearly complete skull and partial jaw represented not only a different species, but also a completely new genus, virtually a new trunk on the tree of human evolution. To say the least, the previously held position that the fossil record supported an orderly progression from primates to Homo sapiens had to be rethought. The former supposition that the fossil record supported an orderly progressive picture of early man proceeding from hominid to modern man was now under attack by many well-respected Darwiniacs. Many evolutionists, however, held resolutely to the new sacrosanct supposition that no other explanation of man's beginning would be accepted. Nothing slowed their deductive postulations that Darwin's theory was correct. Adding insult to injury, on Saturday, April 20, 2002, an article appeared in the Washington Post under the headline, New Study, Primates Roamed with Dinosaurs. In the article, Guy Gugliata threw a significant munchy wrench. mucky wrench no pun intended, into formerly hard and fast evolutionary theory. We are told in this article, primates, the mammals from which humans evolved, emerged on Earth much earlier than had been thought, originating perhaps 85 million years ago during the age of the dinosaurs. Paleontologists placed the origin of primates at 55 million years ago. The, the number of primates... The excuse me, the researchers developed a statistical model that builds an evolutionary tree based on the number of primate species alive today, 235, and the norm number of recorded fossil species, 396, and their ages. By assuming each primate species would live approximately 2.5 million years, the team was able to estimate the length of time that elapsed between the oldest known fossil primate. By this technique, the lead researcher, Robert Martin, concluded former theories of dinosaurs predating primates by millions of years were in error. Robert Martin was quoted in the article, I've been arguing for years that there's there's so many gaps in the fossil record that primates are probably much older than we thought. So as you can see, scientists in 2002 were finding need to make profound and wild assumptions and projections over millions of years. They were now faced with the revised supposition that the mammals from which humans evolved emerged on earth much earlier than previously thought. So before continuing our study of Darwin and his theory, I want to introduce a point or two about creation by fiat. I am personally not sure which I prefer, an ape for an ancestor or an ape for a descendant, but in either case, I am glad that God said in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's see what the Bible has to say about creation, chaos, and restoration. Let's begin by reading what the book of Genesis has to say about the original creation. The ensuing chaos and the six day restoration. I want to read from the NIV of the scripture, Genesis 1-2 through Genesis 2-7. Alright, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and we'll get into great detail about what we've got there. Beginning from nothing, in other words, absolute creation. He created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So now the earth was tohu va bohu. and darkness was over the surf, surface of the earth, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. All right, and of course, will you remember when we, if you study our doctrine of creation, uh, God created out of absolutely nothing the heavens and the earth, and the earth instead of was formless has to be, uh, became formless. But we'll get to that in more detail in order to make sure that we follow the Word of God itself in, in the Hebrew. So you'll remember, that's probably the end of creation and we're going to start the restoration process. Something happened to make the earth without form and void. God did not create it that way. So with that comment... Let's go to verse 3. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And literally in the Hebrew, it's light be, light was. Light from no concentrated source whatsoever, by the way. It's called or. When you put it into a source, like the moon or the stars, it becomes mayor. <coughs> and God saw the light was good and separated the light from the darkness. Hmm... God called the light day and the darkness called night, and there was evening and there was morning, the very first day. There's proof that the earth was round because we're going to have the same at the same time. We're going to have a, a light going on, but anyway, that'll come out later. Let's go on. And God said, "Let there be an expanse between the waters to separate the water from the earth." In other words, the water that was surrounding the planet Earth. Now he wants it separated. So God made the expanse and separated the water from the expanse from the water above, and it was so. And God called the expanse sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the water under the sky gather to be in one place and let dry ground appear."s and it was so. God called the dry ground land, and he gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed and accordingly, uh, according to the various kinds. And it was so. All right, the land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with seed in, in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark season and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights. The greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. That always reminds me of what I... The old judge said one time when I was studying uh, in law school a Texas judge said as the moon governs the night uh, and the, the the sun governs the sun governs the day and the moon governs the light so shall the state of Texas rule and govern what the law is and I thought that was uh, that was after something had been struck down and that was an old 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 case where uh, the judge didn't believe in uh, what he was told to do. Alright, so God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water team with the living creatures, and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great great creatures of the sea and every living and moving things with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw it was good. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in the number and fill the water and the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its own kind, and it was so. Alright, we'll stop right there. But uh, i got work to do on that since this is a really old document that I came up with a long time ago. And then I've added the new stuff just for thought that uh, God could wear, very well have used as uh, we have seen on the first page from some very, very, very important people that we have tremendous respect for like C.S. Lewis and Billy Graham. Alright, and we used to have great respect and I still do for Francis Collins even though he wasn't tending to his business. Anybody that would let the Chinese develop something that could kill 600 thousand people and knowing that they of course have a great army and it could certainly be used to kill millions of soldiers that will be approaching and why we would put the money in there i'll never know but uh i guess that's just proves we're all fallible huh even americans all right, uh, let's close out right with a prayer. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to come together and study. Give us insight. with reference to uh, some of the things that we have looked at tonight. We're just grateful that You are You. And uh, You are indeed capable of doing what You want to do each and every day. And our job is to salute smartly and uh, follow Your instructions.